<laughs> Good morning. High five. Well, before the children, children stay put in here. Give me one more minute, okay? Before the children are dismissed, uh, you guys may be seated again. So sorry. Uh, just so we are very blessed to have uh, an, uh, an addition to our leadership team. And her name is Camille. Camille, uh, did I pronounce her right? Camille, okay. Can you stand up? She is uh, our new uh, children's Sunday school teacher, and uh, she'll be teaching from time to time, so you'll see her around. She is uh, highly noticeable, uh, other than Will. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> and then, uh, but uh, we are just so blessed that because, uh, as you know, uh, Amos Lee, she was uh, one of our uh, speakers from uh, throughout our executive series. And apparently, Camille, have you had Amos as your teacher? Yeah, so uh, Amos uh, taught her at uh, Burnaby South. And are you still in Burnaby South study? Oh, you're in grade 12. Wow, you're like, okay. Thank you for coming to teach us, like um, teach our children. And so um, before she, uh, she leaves and before the kids uh, depart, uh, this is a new year, a new term for our children. So let's pray for our children, pray for Camille, pray for the teachers who are also along uh, uh, volunteering and before they leave. All right, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for blessing us with uh, our sister Camille. Uh, thank you for giving her a heart and a passion to uh, end the joy to uh, teach uh, children and teach our children. Um, we pray, Lord, that uh, we, like the song said, that we set apart our children for you. And as we set apart, we also know that we have to be good stewards and also to bring in uh, good lessons and also Bible teachings and foundations to have them start well. And therefore, we pray and we lay hands on Camille and that your Holy Spirit will ordain her to fill her with your spirit, to uh, allow her to teach, but also to give her that heart and allow your Holy Spirit to speak to her, through her, to our children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now you're just dismissed. <laughs> They've gone. All right. Okay, so uh, oh, there's only one announcement. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if we ever done one in our church. We have? No. No, we haven't. Okay, this is the first one in crucible history. Yay! So we are doing, uh, we are uh, in a new year, and uh, a lot of families have been popping up, left, right, and center. Um, popping. <laughs> popping. If it wasn't that easy, that would be great. But um, new children have got to come to our midst, uh, additions. Uh, so... We have invited uh, those young families to, uh, well, first of all, we gave them a year, we gave them some time, a few months to, you know, reacquaint and realign their schedules and figure out a good rhythm. And so they told me that there are 10% there <laughs> in that rhythm. So we have decided to uh, do a baby slash toddler dedication uh, at the end of January. So on January 26th, there'll be a baby and toddler dedication. Now, what does that mean? Well, we sang that last song, Set Apart. And so what it means for a baby dedication is not a baptism, because we don't do such a thing uh, in our denomination, but it's more about uh, me asking the parents to acknowledge that their children are set apart for God. And so uh, I will be asking them questions and we'll be praying together and you'll be praying with us during that whole uh, time together. And uh, to just say that we acknowledge that, these, that our children their children are set apart for God, not for us. That they are there to be raised for God's purpose. 
that, uh, that the parent's job is to provide role models, Christ-like models in front of their children as best as they can. And that, uh, uh, that the Holy Spirit, but most important, that we humble ourselves and submit the, to the, our children to the Holy Spirit to allow the Holy Spirit to do his thing with our children and not our thing. We don't call the shots on our kids. Only the Holy Spirit does. And therefore, we pray for the parents and the, um, and the children to set apart for God. Now, it's a twofold thing. Because in the second part, there's this old saying called, it takes a village to raise a child. And so, I'll ask the congregation at the same time that we as a congregation, as Crucible Church, surround the parents with prayer. Surround these families with prayer and support. That we provide as best as we can the uh, necessary means, both tangible and intangibles, to help raise this little cutie right here. So uh, we surround them with prayer, and uh, we acknowledge that we too need to set apart these children for God, and that they are not our possession. And they're not about for us to maintain Crucible Church. They're not here to keep Crucible Church alive. That these young people, that these young, that soon-to-be young adults, are there for, to develop a heart of mission, to go out there to their friends, to their schools, to their workplaces, to proclaim the good news, and not just merely for the survival of Crucible Church. We have to acknowledge that ourselves. Amen? So, let's, so that is what baby toddler dedication is. Setting apart, acknowledging, admitting, and humbly submitting our children for God. Okay, so that's gonna happen on January 26th. We already have three families. Uh, signed up, probably more, and uh, so uh, please uh, just mark that date on the calendar. Right after worship's uh, uh, our singing, we will go directly to the uh, dedication. All right, that's it from me. Uh, Helen, come on up. We are very blessed to have our sister Helen come speak to us again to kick off our new year, and uh, she's going to continue our series on Luke. Sorry, this might be distracting. I don't know. It, like it's recording you, <laughs> so uh, it's like this. But um, uh, we invited her to continue to, uh, our series on Luke, and we're very blessed to have Helen again. And Helen, may I pray for you? Yes. We pray for you, and then uh, you go ahead. Gracious Heavenly Father, we're just so blessed as a church to have fellow brothers and sisters of all over the lower mainland to come and help us and speak to us. In particular, today, this morning, we have our sister Helen. And uh, we pray that your Holy Spirit will ordain her, fill her with uh, your presence. Lord, during her time, we believe that during her time of uh, preparation and meditation, that your Spirit was driving everything. And that, Lord, when she speaks, let her words be not her own, but yours. In your name we pray. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's good to see you again. And I'm grateful to be here again with my lovely daughters and my friend Onye. And so we continue with our series, uh, Luke chapter 12. It's an interesting chapter. And so I hope God has something for all of us today. And I look forward to just be blessed with you. So Luke chapter 12, verses 1 to 59. It's about warnings and encouragements. I remember when I was growing up, I grew up with my dad who was very strict. My mom was good. And then one day I remember dad telling me and my sister, 
don't ever get pregnant in my house. If you do, I'll cut you into six pieces. So you can be sure that was a tough warning and a scaring one. So nobody wanted to cross this line. It was an interesting one. And so looking at Luke chapter 12, verses 1 to 59, this is the outline of the sermon today. Warning against hypocrisy, that is verses 1 to 12. The parable of the rich fool, verses 13 to 21. Do not worry, verses 22 to 34. Watchfulness, verses 35 to 48. Not peace, but division, verses 49 to 53. Then interpreting times, verses 54 to 59. In life, we get warnings and we also get encouragements. I remember many times I've received encouragements, but I've also received warnings, and I think I've shared part of that with you before. Jesus decided to give his disciples warning, and so we are going to look at this at, from verses 1 to 12, warnings against hypocrisy. I think someone has already preached chapter 11, and so chapter 11 has raised a little debate about Jesus and the Pharisees, and this is when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him. And he was surprised that Jesus did not wash his hands. And Jesus is still at it again here in verse 1 and 2. Note that Luke is able to notice the crowds, which were many thousands who had come and who had gathered to listen to Jesus. And Jesus decides to speak to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. The crowd was pressing in and trembling on one another. Yet Jesus does not address them first, but he goes ahead and addresses the disciples. So one wonders what was so important that Jesus would turn to the crowd and then just leave them alone for a moment and decide to address the disciples. This is because the disciples needed to desperately to hear these words from their master. They were going to be the next leaders and they needed to make sure that they avoided the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. It is important we, are, we avoid hypocrisy because it spreads very fast like yeast in a duff. And this is verses 3 to 4. Jesus warns that there's nothing that is concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in dark will be revealed in daylight. This is very interesting. Jesus continues to say in verse 4 to 5, he encourages them that God alone controls the final destiny of men, and people should fear him alone, rather than fear those who can only inflict physical death. In verse 6 and 7, Jesus reminds the disciples that they are worthy before God, more than the sparrows and the hares, which cannot be forgotten. Verse 8 and 9, Jesus says, whoever acknowledges him before men, the Son of Man will acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns him before men will also disown him before the angels of God. Then verse 10, he introduces the unpardonable sin, which is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. This is simply referring to the fact that there's no remedy for complete and absolute denial of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So one should be very careful when they are trying to connect this sin with that one which leads to death. And this is in 1 John chapter 5, verse 16 to 17. Then verses 11 to 12, the Spirit will teach you what to say when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities. 
This leads me to my second point, the parable of the rich fool, verses 13 to 21. This parable reminds me when Jesus said in the gospel according to Matthew, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Human soul is great treasure which should not be exchanged for anything. And we should be very careful that we don't lose it. Verse 13 says, someone in the crowd interpreted Jesus. And then he said, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, he doesn't even ask Jesus for this decision or what he thinks is a fair deal. Jesus does not even, exp uh, Jesus does not even answer him back as expected. But then he goes ahead and says, who appointed me as a judge over you? Jesus knew the real problem between the two brothers was that they were greedy and they needed change of heart. Verse 15 says, he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greedy. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession. Now, Jesus responds to the crowd. This is Jesus' response to the crowd, not only to the two brothers. He goes ahead and says, this issue revolves around the very nature of life's greediness which are not to be quitted with true living. In fact, they became a substitute for proper object of God's search and worship to God. And therefore, greedy is idolatry. And we read this from Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Verse 16 to 21 says, Jesus gives a parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced good crop. Verse 17, then he said to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store up my crops. Then he said, I will tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grains and goods, and say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and make merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And what you have prepared for yourself, you will receive it. And this is how it will be with anyone who store up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Store up things for yourself resembles Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, which says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. The lesson we can learn from this parable is that wealth cannot secure prosperity or good life. Furthermore, if money is your master, that means God is not. And this is according to Matthew 6, verse 24. When God has blessed us, let us bless others and let us use our wealth to build the kingdom of God. This brings me to my third point. Do not worry. Verses 22 to 34. This section resembles verses 22 and 31, which is also in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 33. The Sermon on the Mount. After addressing the crowds, verses 22 to 23, Jesus now turns again to his disciples. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and body more than clothes. The point here is that there is more to life than food and than clothes. It is very possible to worry, even covet, when we are rich or poor. Verse 24 to Verse 26, this verses show comparison of how much more is valuable, the ravens and the sparrows. Jesus here 
assures us that God who cares for such birds is able to care for us. Then Jesus asks, who by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this little thing, do not worry about the rest. The point here is that it is fruitless to worry about small matters when we cannot control. It is even more fruitless to worry about the large matters that lie far beyond our control. Verses 27 to 28. Consider the little lilies, how they grow. They do not labor or spin. Not even Solomon was dressed like them. If God cares for perishing flowers, he is able to care for his people. And therefore, living a life, living little faith is a shame. Very interesting. Verse 29. Do not set your heart on what is on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about such. Then verse 36. For the pagan world runs after all these things, and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Here Jesus contrasts the pagan world with the believers. Pagans do not have the same relationship as believers have with loving, caring, providing heavenly father. To know what they, know, they need, he already knows. And this is enough sufficient assurance for all believers. And therefore, Jesus is assuring us and the disciples that we should turn our attention to the kingdom of God, which has already been commanded for us to seek. Verse 31. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. What does seeking God's kingdom mean? Striving after God's kingdom means giving your life and surrendering to God, investing your time and resources in God's business, helping the poor, helping the needy, paying your tithes and offering, and then God will take care of your needs, including your family. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone wants to follow him, they must carry their cross daily. You compare this with Luke chapter 9, verse 24 to 25. Nothing in this life is worthy keeping, even if it means losing internal life. Not even a job, family, or even our investment. The call is tough, but the reward is worthy the temporary pain. Verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your heavenly Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. The encouragement do not fear is appropriate in the view of the hostility of the experts in the law, or instead of opening the way to the kingdom and its truth, stand in the way of those who seek it. Then verses 33 to 34. Jesus said, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide passes for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fade. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Where your treasure is, your heart will also be. The point here is that Jesus is, en is encouraging us and telling us we should focus on investing on heavenly things. Investing on kingdoms. Because it is the only thing which God is looking at. And that's why the scripture says, where your heart is, therefore your soul is also. This brings me to my fourth point, and it's watchfulness. Verses 35 to 48. Verse 35 says, Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can then open the door for him. 
According to Spurgeon, this seems to be one of the most remarkable of Lord's utterances while he was here on earth. Christ's life was manifested as the Lord and Master of all, and yet he took position of a servant of all when he washed his disciples' feet. Yet here he tells us, when he comes back again and finds us watchful, he will once again take up his position as a servant. Here the Lord is telling us to be watchful of his glorious second coming. Verse 37, even on this day of his appearing in glory, his thoughts will be more about his people than himself. He will guard himself and make them sit down at a, at a table and come and serve them. We cannot tell when he will come, but blessed are those servants who when the Lord returns shall find them watching. Verses 39 to 40, the Lord encourages them to be ready because the coming of the Son of Man is unknown. This is similar to Matthew 24, verses 42 to 44, where the imagery of the thief is used again. Here, Luke is just concentrating on the Lord's teaching on the implications of his sudden return. Verses 41 to 44, Peter asked a question, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? And Jesus responds with a counter question. The passage teaches the importance of faithfulness in doing the will of the master. Verses 42 to 46 emphasize responsibility, one, which one asks for those who have been placed under his leadership. Verse 45 to 46 shows there will be an interval of waiting and serving, and the attitude of the manager is different from what he was commanded to do in verse 40. And the way he treats the servant is interrupted by the sudden return of his master. He was not expecting him to, to return. And the punishment which the manager gets is very severe. Verses 47 to 48 says, the severe punishment for the servant who knows God's will and does not get ready. It is the responsibility of the servant of God to know what God's will is. And God will judge us according to, the, to our individual responsibility. The one who is given much, much is expected of him. In other words, the closing remarks would apply to apostles and church leaders throughout the stadium. And this one brings me to my fifth point, not peace, but division. Verses, 59, uh, verses 49 to 53. Verse 49 to 53, the Lord's teaching about preparation for a second return and implanting judgment leads to this paragraph about what Christ expects. Fire may mean judgment or purification. Jesus here is referring about the baptism of his own death. And this is verses 51 to 53. One wonders why Christ's mission would not be to bring peace, but division. What did Jesus really mean? Jesus is telling us the important truth which we needed all to know. Jesus knew the future and the strength of his, of his disciples, faith in the Lord and the early Christian will, will be put to severe tests. It will mean families will be divided, those who follow Christ and those who know or who reject the hope and true peace that he is offering. He is giving his followers this warning now so that when this will come, they will not be shocked. When following Jesus would mean making very tough choices. And what can be tougher than choosing between loyalty to family and loyalty to Jesus? I wonder about this. To what extent does being a Christian 
put you in a situation of tension and even conflict? To what extent do you fear being a Christian who put you to a state of tension with the rest of the world? This brings me to my final point, interpreting the times. And this, that is the sixth point, verses 54 to 59. So verse 54 to 56, Jesus challenges the crowds to learn to interpret times. It is very easy to live without even recognizing what is happening. And Jesus is using very harsh words to condemn this. What are the signs of our times? How can you understand them? The word hypocrites here show that the people Jesus was speaking to were not even sincere in their professed inability to interpret these present times. Verses 57 to 59, here Jesus appeals to human judgment regarding a time of personal decision. In human affairs, one resolves a crisis situation wisely to avoid penalty. As Christians, we need to be reconciled to God before judgment. In conclusion, Woodley, in the, in the editor of the book Inside the Sermon, wrote this, and I quote John Wesley, Earn all what you can, save all what you can, and give all what you can. J. Paul Getty said, The best things in life are things. Ivan Bosky said, My master is my past. Which of the three was closest to the master? That's easy, but here is a tough question. Which of these three is closest to you? God bless you.